Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 331. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and it's a solo episode today. Valerie's going to be back next time. On today's show, uh, it's just going to be me chatting, okay, and answering questions, actually. I'm going to go through a bunch of questions that we hadn't talked about in a while and were submitted. Uh, If you want to submit a question, usually you can just record your voice on your iPhone and then send an email to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And we put your voice on there. But today, these are all just going to be uh, questions that were sent in uh, via our... Uh, there's a form in the notes where you can send in a question. And so we got a bunch of questions from people. Let's just hop right into the question. Well, we don't have to hop right into the questions right away. What's what's going on here? Um, you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time taking care of uh, these outdoor cats, the porch kitty crew... Uh, I had the latest thing is there's this one black puffy cat that um, I just caught him and got him fixed. And I thought that would make him a little uh, less intimidating to the other cats, but he still hassles the other cats. So anyway, uh, that's lots of drama with the cats around. And then, you know, I spent an inordinate amount of time playing too much Euchre, too. (laughs) Euchre is a fun card game, but uh, I do that and... uh, you know, running and stuff. That's pretty much... Although, you know what I did read today? Uh, yes, I just finished it yesterday. Uh, it was the book uh, by Sylvia Plath, The Bell Jar. I, I thought that was a wonderful book. So if you haven't read it, uh, check it out. Uh, some people had compared it to uh, Catcher in the Rye, which I liked very much when I was a youth. I could see the comparison, but uh, I think it's it's, to me... It's much better, much more enjoyable. The the sarcastic wit, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a, a nice narrative, So and it's very well written. And uh, I listened to the audiobook by uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and she does uh, an excellent job. So if you're looking for a book to read, uh, you know, the 1950s called, was uh, <laughs> Sylvia Plath's Bell Jar. Uh, was it in the 50s or maybe it was the 70s? I don't know the year when, but... I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really do enjoy reading a lot of books. I try to read about 70 books a year. And I not only do I read it, but I, I listen to a lot of the books. But I, I do read also. But uh, I count both of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just like books. I hadn't always liked books, but I I, I, uh, I developed a love for it. And I encourage everyone to do the same. <laughs> There is, uh, in beauty news, there's, um, there's a couple of stories Valerie and I will talk about them, but I saw that Johnson & Johnson is proposed to settle for like $9 billion, all of the claims against it and talc, so uh, it seems to me they're just trying to make the lawsuit go away, and $9 billion, jeez, that's a lot. Now, they also don't admit to that the their talc is related to uh, cancer, and the evidence, I think, is on their side, the scientific evidence. But they keep getting juries that award 
people who have had cancer and blame it on the talc. Uh, lots of money. So you could see from a corporation standpoint, they just kind of want to pay to make it go away. We'll see if that happens. It reminds me of back in the late 90s, uh, Dow Corning, who made the silicone for silicone breast implants, they got sued by a bunch of people. They lost to juries, but later on, the science came out that, uh, in fact, the silicone was not causing the problems that it was purported to cause. And so uh, the company eventually went bigger. But I kind of see this as the same, but, you know, it's hard to hard to root for big corporations. Uh, but I tried to do, I try to root for the, what the science is saying, you know. Uh, there was another lawsuit that got thrown out, the L'Oreal. The, there was a lawsuit against L'Oreal uh, where a class action lawsuit because they thought L'Oreal was implying that their products were made in France because they're called L'Oreal Paris. And that seemed like a pretty dumb lawsuit anyway. Uh, but that's how things are regulated here in the United States. We don't have uh, regula- regulatory bodies that are really aggressive, but we do have uh, lawyers who look around to come up with lawsuits. Uh, and when corporations are faced with lawsuits, they either settle or they fight it in court, but that is one way that that prevents their bad behavior in the future. So, again, it was kind of a dumb lawsuit. Do people really believe that if if a place is named in a brand name like L'Oreal Paris that, oh, it's all made in Paris? It seems seems very strange, but, hey, it got thrown out. All right, why don't I move on to answering some of your questions. The first question I see is from Lise, L-I-S-E, Lise. She says, there are so many articles about the benefits of goat milk soap, but I have trouble finding an actual study about the benefits of the Capre Lac as a skin care ingredient. Goat's milk soap is technically not made of goat's milk alone, but is, of course, soap made with goat milk since... Like all soap, it's mostly fat and lye and a little bit of goat's milk. Does the amounts of goat milk make a difference? And how can Capri Lac added be added to lip balms? I understand that is an anhydrous product. Dehydrated goat's milk is used that would quantity would make it effective as an active ingredient. Uh, okay, so let's. And she says, uh, does the main does the ingredient have to be a main ingredient to have an effect? I can say. Sugar sweetens coffee and then add two grains. It's not exactly sweetened coffee. Thank you so much. Love your show. That last part of the question is a really good question. Does an ingredient have to be the main ingredient to have an effect? And I would say in general, no, it does not. For example, the main ingredient in almost all water-based cosmetics is water. And so very small amounts of a polymer, say like a polymer JR or something like that, like a conditioning polymer, can be used at 0.2%, which is a very small amount, and it's going to have a significant impact. So an ingredient does not have to be the main ingredient to have an effect, but you do have to have a significant amount of many ingredients to have that effect. Okay, so that was that part. But let's let's get back to goat milk. You know, goat milk gets put into soap because of some of the ingredients that make up the goat milk and also because the stories that can be told about those ingredients. For example, goat milk contains lactic acid, which is an alpha-hydroxy acid. So alpha-hydroxy acids have been shown to help exfoliate the skin, 
uh, make the skin uh, feel better, glow better. And so as far as exfoliation goes, yeah, AHAs can exfoliate and make your skin better. And so the idea is, well, goat milk has this lactic acid, AHA, ergo goat milk is going to help to exfoliate. You know, at least that's the theory. In truth, I think the contact time wouldn't be long enough when the AHA is delivered from a soap. It's just going to get incorporated with the water. It'll touch the skin briefly, and then most of it will just get rinsed down the drain with water. And so it's not going to have an effect unless you put the soap on there and you leave it on there for a little while, and then you rinse it off. But honestly, if you're doing that, you're going to get irritation in the skin because you're exposed to soap for too long. So it's okay. It's, you know, but let's be real here also. If you wanted lactic acid in your formula, you would just put lactic acid in because you can control the amount, you can control uh, the concentration better than you could like with goat milk. Goat milk is going to have a variable amount of lactic acid in there. So if you wanted lactic acid in your formula, you wouldn't use goat milk, you would use lactic acid. Okay. Now, Goat milk also contains vitamins uh, like vitamin A, vitamin E. But again, if you wanted to put vitamins in your soap, you could just add vitamins. You don't need to add goat's milk. So any benefit that you would get from those, it would be better if you added the vitamins directly, not indirectly through goat's milk. Uh, and I will say that, again, vitamins in soap are, are just going to get rinsed away. They're a claims ingredient. They're not actually going to be doing anything. Goat milk is also high in fat, which might be useful in a moisturizer, but in a soap, which is specifically designed to remove fats and oils, again, it just gets washed away. It also has the added problem of making your soap not work as well. It reduces the cleansing ability of your soap because the soap molecules are tied up in this oil, and instead of them being able to go to your skin and remove the oil, they're holding on to this oil that you put in the formula, and then it all gets just rinsed away. So I, you know, I just don't get why people making cleansing products like soaps or body washes or shampoos are putting oils in your formula. That just makes it work worse. And the oils, they don't play out on there. They just get rinsed away. It's it's a total waste and it's a, just a total uh, marketing gimmicky thing, but it doesn't actually improve your product. It really makes your product worse. Now, it's also been said that goat's milk has antibacterial properties. But the FDA has specifically said that soap is already antibacterial enough, and adding more antibacterial materials is not going to help make it even more antibacterial. You know, soap is going to remove 99-plus percent of any bacteria on your hands. So adding an antibacterial, the one that used to be used a lot, was triclosan until that got... Uh, the FDA said you couldn't do that anymore. But the reason they said that was because you couldn't prove that having that antibacterial compound in your soap was actually going to make it more antibacterial. So it wasn't. So while, you know, while goat milk might have this antibacterial property, in the conditions under which you find in the environment of using soap, it's just not doing anything. So while you might read lots of info about the great benefits of goat milk, uh, it's just not going to be particularly effective when delivered from a soap. Now, companies know this, too, you know, unless the companies, you know, they're driven by, you know, some philosophical belief or something. But 
But if they really are driven by the science, um, then, you know, they know that goat milk, they're putting goat milk in their soap. It's not actually doing anything. Um, but they, they do put it in there because consumers find it a nice story. It's it's natural. It's it's goats. You know, it's who doesn't like goats? I, I love goat parkour. <laughs> I love little baby goats. Lots of great stuff about goats. But as far as putting goat stuff in your soap, it's not going to really help it. It's only added as a marketing story thing. And it's not going to add any real additional benefit to your uh, soap. All right. Thank you for that question. Let's move on to our next question, which comes to us from Chrissy, who is also a Patreon member. If you want to help support the show and keep us ad-free, you can just go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level, as Chrissy has. And then what happens then is we prioritize your questions. All right, Chrissy. Her question was, can you make an extract of a plant with glycerin to use in skincare? Specifically, Bryphylum pinnatum, a.k.a. the leaf of life. It's a very popular plant with a host of healing properties, and I read Clarin has even was even using it in their skincare. I have this growing everywhere around my house in Miami Beach, Florida. All right. Um, well, the, the answer to the first part of the question is whether you can make a plant extract with uh, glycerin. Uh, yes, you could do that. Now, the question is, but why would you want to? And I asked that specifically about this uh, leaf of life extract. It's it's nice to have them around, and maybe they look pretty. Uh, but the thing is, there is no evidence that uh, this particular extract or plant is safe and effective for humans when used topically. Uh or even internally, because there's a lot of uh, supplements that are sold with this stuff. And as you said, it's it's a you know a popular plant, and you say it has this host of healing properties. I would say it's the host of heal. It's there are a host of healing properties that are ascribed to this plant, the leaf of life. There's just no evidence that's actually true. It may be. Traditionally, people have talked about it, and maybe it has some compounds in it. I, I wasn't able to find any specific compounds that were uh, healing. Uh, and really, I, I also don't know. Like, It's a very vague claim to say something is healing. Like, like it's healing. Okay, so what specifically is it doing? And that's kind of the way, as uh, a scientist, I kind of approach these things. Um, but I'll just say in general... Uh, beyond just this leaf of life. In, in general, I don't like to encourage people to put untested plant materials on their skins. And just because something is coming from nature doesn't mean that it's safe. And in fact, you know, um, poison ivy? Does, does that ring any bells? I mean, there are a lot of plants have developed specific compounds to uh, discourage animals like us or anim mammals in general from getting near the plant. Uh, they uh, specifically make ingredients that can harm us, and that is why most of the things that people have allergic reactions to are actually ingredients that originally came from plants. Like synthetically produced ingredients rarely make people break out and have an allergic reaction because these things are new compounds that the body has never experienced before. And if the body has never 
evolved to experience or sense a specific ingredient, then it generally just doesn't interact with the body and it sort of goes away. It's not all ingredients, of course, but uh, you know, generally, I would say a synthetically produced ingredient is more uh, is less likely to cause an allergic reaction than something that comes from nature, because nature evolved things to harm us. So it's for that reason that I don't like to encourage people to put untested plant materials on your skin. And the fact that there haven't been any studies to show that this uh, leaf of life uh, plant is really effective makes me even more wary of uh, suggesting anyone put that on their body. So uh, those are those are my thoughts on that. Uh, generally, uh, you know, stick with um, compounds and materials that have been safety tested and have been tested uh, to be effective and for having some benefit to the skin. Our next question comes to us from Amy from Ohio. Amy says, I was wondering if products and or collagen supplements containing collagen can penetrate or benefit the skin. Now, she specifically asks about Paula's Choice new pro-collagen multi-peptide booster. It's a a mere $59, (laughs) but it has six times the peptide booster? Okay. Uh, I appreciate all the information you give. I've learned so much from listening to your podcast, and all my friends think I'm smart. Oh, well, that's nice. It's always it's always fun when people think you're smart, isn't it? I always enjoy uh, watching Jeopardy, and when I get a lot of the questions uh, correct, even especially the obscure ones, I, I always feel very smart, <laughs> even though it's just random information tied up in my brains. Uh, but, you know, it's, I think there is something about when you, when you just go into science in general, uh, it's because, you, you, you know, some of that is because you like the feeling of the rest of the world thinking you're smart. Or maybe you just think yourself is smart if, if you know something. But I, I always think when, whenever I get to start thinking that I'm uh, really smart, I think about all the stuff that I know, you know, nothing about. Like, ask me about uh, creating clothes or something. I, I know nothing about it. I'm a complete moron when it comes to those. <laughs> ask me about beauty products and chemistry. I I know a little bit about that, but there's so much to learn. Uh, Everybody is mostly an idiot in most subjects. So if you could find that one thing where you can be an expert in, uh, then you can feel smart. All right. So she's wondering about products with collagen. And my answer to that, uh, and specifically she wants to know, can collagen penetrate or benefit the skin? And my answer to that, uh, we've talked about collagen in the past. My answer to that is no, I I don't think so. But I will say, I, perhaps I shouldn't be so flippant. There are a lot of products out there that sell the collagen story. And collagen is definitely something that's involved in, you know, giving yourself nice-looking, supple skin. Collagen is produced uh, naturally by the body uh, in the dermis, so that's the lowest layer of your skin. Well, the hypodermis, I guess, is the lowest layer. But the the dermis is where all the skin growth is happening. So the dermis is producing hyaluronic acid. It's producing collagen. It's producing elastin. Collagen sort of gives you the structure of the skin underneath. And so when you press on your skin and it and it moves around, that's because you have your collagen and your elastin. It's it's kind of the structure to the skin. And so the idea is, and this happens in the cosmetic industry a lot. The idea is that well, if 
your skin is made up of collagen, putting more collagen on there is going to help. Uh, you know, it doesn't actually work that way. Let's talk about the collagen, though. Uh, the problem with collagen, uh, one of the problems is, it's just, it's a huge molecule that just does not easily penetrate the outer layers of the skin. And even if it did penetrate, it's not like it would easily incorporate itself into the structure that is already there. I mean, I'm trying to give you an analogy here, but imagine that you have a, uh, a pair of jeans that has a bunch of holes in it. Now, I have to say, I've got a bunch of jeans where, where like the, the crotch area just wears out faster than anything else. I, I don't know why. Maybe my legs rub together uh, a lot f more there or something. It's, maybe it's the way I walk or something. But... Darn it, I got all of these perfectly fine pairs of jeans, and there's just this big hole in the, in the middle, and so I can't really wear them out anymore. I, although sometimes I, admittedly, I'll wear some uh, blue underwear, so you can't really notice it, even though there's this big hole there. But anyway, that's a, a digression. Maybe Is there a way you could just patch that part? I, anyway. <laughs> Um, um, so imagine, let's get back to the pants. Imagine you have this holy pair of jeans, okay? So the denim, there's denim holes all over the holes like I experience, and you want to fix them. Now, say you had these big chunks of denim, just little pieces of denim, and, and in this analogy, the denim is the collagen that's already in your skin, and these little chunks of denim are the collagen that is in your skincare. So, say you had those the, the pair of pants that had these holes in it, and you take this bucket of denim chunks and you just dump it on the pants. Now, is that going to fix the holes? No, this isn't going to fix the holes. I mean, once you move those jeans and you, the loose denim, it, it all just falls out. So, you know, just dumping bits of collagen on the skin is the same thing as just dumping those bits of denim on the holes in your jean. It's You'd need to do more than just dump stuff on there, and it's not going to nicely incorporate into it. It's just going to, uh, well, it's just going to sit on the surface of the skin, and it will have some, uh, what you call them, it'll have some humectant properties, and it has some film-forming properties, but it doesn't get anywhere where the, your collagen naturally is, and if it did, it wasn't going to help anyway. So it's understandable why companies put that in there, though, because, you know, it's like, hey, collagen and, you know, pro-collagen peptide booster. <laughs> I don't know. The word peptide is just so popular in the cosmetic industry these days. And it can you just throw peptide around for anything. It, it doesn't. What's a peptide booster? That uh, That's just made up. Nothing's a peptide. I mean, it depends. Of course, they're not lying. They're, they, they have their definition of what they think a peptide booster is, and that's what it's doing. But for you, uh, peptides and boosting, it, it's, it's not helping anything. Uh, okay, and now, as far as research goes, well, you know, there are a bunch of studies that have suggested topical collagen products can improve the appearance of skin. For example, in 2014, there was a study published in the Journal of Cosmetic Dermatology, and they found that a topical solution containing collagen peptides improves skin hydration and elasticity in women with aging skin. But you know, you know what? And it's not surprising. Like I said, it could have humectant properties. But you know what else is? Any good moisturizer is going to improve skin hydration and elasticity, whether you have the collagen in there or not. And this is what happens a lot in these studies. What they do is they want to... Eh, 
kind of rigged the, it's not rigged the study, but they want to bias the study in favor of showing some positive results. So you create a placebo that isn't really a good moisturizer, right? And then you make your product with the collagen and you test it and you show, oh, you know, this this collagen, this crappy moisturizer doesn't work as well as the crappy moisturizer with some collagen added into it. And ergo, oh, collagen is uh, moisturizing. Now, what they should be doing, if they want to see, does collagen actually give you extra? They should take what's the best moisturizer on the market right now, and I'm going to take that best moisturizer on the market right now, and then I'm going to add some collagen to it, and then let's test those side by side. Now, you say, is there any extra boost that you're getting from putting collagen in there? I'm going to say, probably not. And I support that by saying there is no study out there which does exactly what I'm saying. But for you as a consumer, the thing that's important to you is, you know, you don't care if it's collagen, right? You want to know, is this going to work better than the last product that you tried? Well, uh, you know, I think you've got to find what's the best, uh, best technology for moisturizing out on the market right now. Is collagen going to do better than that? And uh, right now, I've not seen any evidence to suggest that. Okay. Additionally, as far as studies go, there was a 2019 systemic review and meta-analysis published in the Journal of Cosmetic Dermatology that found that although some studies suggested collagen had a positive impact, there were others that suggested it didn't. And the authors concluded from this review study, this meta-analysis, that the evidence was just not strong enough to draw definitive conclusions. Ergo, yeah, they, maybe it works or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> if you ask me, I'd say probably it doesn't. And as far as supplements go, I, I just don't buy it. You know, Forget the fact that supplements are essentially unregulated here in the United States, which they are, which means you have no idea uh, what you're actually buying when you get a supplement. That's uh, it's a misunderstanding of how digestion works. So you in you know you eat something, you eat protein. The protein gets down into your stomach and it gets broken down. So if it started out as collagen in your mouth, by the time it gets into your stomach and sits there and then into your bloodstream, it's not collagen anymore. It's just broken down amino acids. Um, and so those amino acids don't if they need to be put into the skin, they'll be put in there. If they don't need the extra to go in the skin or wherever, it'll go other places in your body and the other stuff will just get, uh, you know, washed away. And whether you're eating collagen protein or soybean protein or uh, directly amino acids, the body doesn't know. So collagen supplements, it just... From a biological standpoint, it's a misunderstanding of biology to suggest that eating more collagen is going to boost the collagen in your skin. Uh, now, I could be wrong there. Maybe there's some uh, some radical change in the, our understanding of human digestion, but you know, I don't think I am. I think it's more likely this is just a story that consumers find compelling. All right, our next question comes to us from Ruth. Uh, and Ruth is a Patreon member, so I appreciate it. Ruth, can beauty brands claim that they are vegan if they use human hair? Can a brand claim ethical hair sourcing if the hair is bought from children anywhere in the world? I mean, it shouldn't matter, should it? Not USA, but but okay, other places. And then, uh, so this is interesting. She goes on to say, um, specifically that she's wondering what is the criteria by which something is vegan and who 
regulates it. Uh, she also says that the the company that she's suggesting she she wants to know are humans mammals and is it really vegan if you're using an ingredient that's derived from human hair like uh, alpha keratin or something like that. Uh, she says that as far as they're concerned, PETA states that humans are not animals and so this can be a vegan thing. Now I would say that as far as things go, vegan uh, is has no legal definition. So anyone can claim that their product is vegan as long as it lives up to their own standards. Now, whether their consumers or outside groups accept their definition of vegan is a different story. And I'm sure those people who would vote with their wallets to decide not to buy something if they don't really believe the products are vegan. So if they're uh, vegan washing, as it were. You know, I personally don't think that you should call something vegan if you're using a human-derived ingredient in there, but I guess I can understand the debate about it. Uh, just This is just one of those things. That, that word is, you know, it's not legally defined. And as far as using the claim ethically sourced, that, again, is not a legally defined term. So as long as people are following their own ethics, I... I think you could support making that claim. Now, of course, you know, companies that make these claims, they do open themselves up to lawsuits, which, you know, can go either way. If you have the right jury, you can say, hey, our, as far as our ethics go, what you're doing is unethical. And so they vote that way. Uh, so, I mean, I would personally try to avoid making claims that might be contentious like this. Um, and, so there's that to think about. And uh, just out of curiosity, I asked ChatGPT what it thought. And it said, no, a product made with human hair would not be considered vegan as it is derived from an animal, which is human. Veganism is a way of living that seeks to exclude, as far as possible and practical, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals, including the use of animal products in food, clothing, and other products. Therefore, a vegan would not use or consume any products that involve the exploitation of harm of animals, and that includes human beings. So it's interesting what the AI thinks. I would be interested to hear what... What do vegans think? Uh, is something with human hair uh, acceptable? I mean, this again, this becomes a a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of law because uh, these things aren't defined. And this does point to a problem with claims in the cosmetic industry. There are claims like sustainability, transparency, reef safe, hypoallergenic, microbiome safe. All of these things, they're not legally defined. They're just whatever you want to say about them and if you can make a a reasonable case for why you believe your product is say reef safe uh then you can make that claim but you know anybody can say reef safe a lot of times with with reef safe they they say well i don't include oxybenzone or uh, oxysalicylate or, or one of the the ones that are banned by hawaii or i contain zinc oxide well you know what there, zinc oxide might cause problems for reefs too. You know, other stuff in your sunscreen might be causing uh, problems for reefs. They just haven't been tested, right? And also, so to say that you're reef safe, you don't really know that. All you, you're really saying is I don't contain oxybenzone. That doesn't mean it's reef safe. I look at the same the claim like cruelty free. 
well, you know, it means cruelty-free is not cruelty-free. It means you haven't tested on animal. That's what you're really testing. Because if you're using plant materials, during the process of harvesting and planting those plants, rabbits are getting killed, mice are getting killed, insects, millions of insects are getting killed. And so that's not, for, for them, that's not cruelty-free. That's that's cruel to them. So the creation of your uh, product that contains plant-derived materials, it's not cruelty-free. It's animal, not animal-tested. I'd agree with that claim. Cruelty-free, I wouldn't agree with that claim. But lots of people make cruelty-free claims because it's not legally regulated, at least at the moment. That might be one that eventually is legally regulated, but we'll see. All right. Thanks, Ruth, so much for that question and for being a Patreon supporter. Looks like I have time for a couple of more, or the energy for a couple of more. Deb says, is there any truth to the ability of silver chitoderm to prevent acne and heal scars? Well, it's a very interesting question. Uh, this is an ingredient that you hear a lot about, and when you don't hear a lot about an ingredient, it's not used in like a lot of mainstream products, that should tell you something. That if a product was really, or if an ingredient was really effective, everybody would be using it. I mean, even when ingredients aren't really affected, like say CBD, it has no impact on skin. That's all used all over the place, or peptides are used all over the place. So it doesn't have to be really effective to be used by everybody. It has to have a good story, but. If something is really effective, then it will be used by as many companies as can do it. And the fact that silver chitoderm isn't used everywhere to prevent acne and heal scars, that'll tell you something that uh, maybe it's effective as a story ingredient. It's not effective as an effective ingredient. But let's look at this a little bit more. There is some evidence to suggest that silver chitoderm may be effective in preventing acne and reducing scarring. But if you ask me, that evidence is really weak. I mean, here is the rationale, right? Okay, let's say what, you know, you just throw this in there. There's got to be some rationale to it. So first, as far as preventing acne, the idea is that since acne can be caused by bacteria, or at least bacteria is involved in the process, an ingredient that is an antibacterial should be able to help. And in a study published in the Journal of Biomedical Materials Research in 2002, they found that chitosan could inhibit the growth of bacteria involved in acne. Okay, now this was just, uh, of course, in a petri dish, not on actual human skin, so... Who knows? Is that really, does it go from the lab to, oh, this works on acne? No, you would go from the lab and then you do human panel testing and trials and then you'd prove it there using a placebo-controlled double-blind study. Well, guess what? We don't have that. And so you have to say to yourself, well, why don't we have this? This was 20 years ago. Um, and the reason probably was because in the 20 years since then, nobody has ever been able to show that it works on human beings under real use conditions. Now, maybe it, maybe it does. Uh, maybe I'm missing something. I, I don't see it. And since the big companies who make anti-acne products aren't using this uh, as a main ingredient and the FDA hasn't approved it as a main ingredient, that should tell you something about whether it works or not. Now, as far as uh, blending this with silver, silver is a well-known antibacterial ingredient. So maybe there's an extra boost there, but it's not like silver chitoderm has been approved by any of the regulators as an effective treatment. So 
I wouldn't have much faith as far as preventing acne goes that this is going to help much. Now, as far as acne scarring goes, or just scars in general, again, there is a little weak evidence for this ingredient. In a study published in the Journal of Functional Biomaterials in 2018, they found that a wound dressing made with a blend of chitosan and silver helped to reduce the thickness of scars. Now, so does that help with acne scars or other scars from topical treatments? Uh, you know, I doubt it. Uh, this was a, actually some dressings that were made with the stuff and put on there and left on there for a long time. Um, that helped, I guess, uh, with the thickness. And and even with the results you got from that, did reducing the thickness of the scar have a noticeable benefit on there? Um, it's certainly not going to get rid of your scars. Uh, maybe it makes them look a little better. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, that just leads to still more de- dissatisfaction because it made it a little better, but it's still not fixed. So anyway, uh, you know, is this going to work as a topical treatment for scars or acne scars? I doubt it. But you might try it and, and find out what you think. Uh, I would just keep your expectations low. It's certainly not a panacea of uh, preventing acne and healing the scars. Uh, but for you, you you might try it out. You might get a positive effect. Uh, that may or may not have anything to do with the, the product or ingredient. But if something works, I say go with it. All right, this will be the last question. Uh, this comes to us from Maria. Maria says, a traveler YouTube recommends condensing your shampoos in preparation for travel by setting them out in a bowl for a period of time until some of the water evaporates so they are more concentrated and take up less space in your 311 bag. Is this a bad idea or is this okay enough for travel? <laughs> I have to say, this is a, an interesting idea. Um, I, I mean, seriously, how much room are you going to save by evaporating off some water in your shampoo? I, um, so I don't know if it's a good idea. But let's just talk about it. So if you take your shampoo and and pour it out into a bowl and then just let it evaporate, Uh, what's going to happen? Shampoos are made up of about 90% water. So the water is going to start to evaporate pretty quickly. And that is true. It's going to start concentrating the formula. So that means uh, everything. So the detergents will be higher concentration. The preservatives will be higher concentration. uh, Everything that's in there. With the exception of one, uh, which is the fragrance. Now, fragrance, it, for you to be able to smell a fragrance, that uh, means it's evaporating. The molecules are evaporating and getting into your nose. And when you take a product and you put it out into a bowl and you let everything evaporate, water evaporates, but so does the fragrance. And so you're, it's not going to smell the same. So your fragrance will evaporate along with water, probably more than it'll evaporate faster than the water typically. And uh, so it's going to smell different. Now, it's not smelling different doesn't really impact the performance of the the cleansing of the shampoo and such, but it does affect your your experience of using the product. And so you might not like how it works as well. It might still work, but uh, trust me, I've done enough home use tests where if you get the fragrance wrong, people don't like the product as much. And even if it's working exactly the same, they will say it doesn't work as well. It doesn't foam as well. It's not as thick just because of the halo effect of the fragrance. So evaporating off can really make you the fragrance uh, go bad. 
but maybe that doesn't matter to you. Uh, the other thing that might happen is the color might get different. So the color could get more concentrated, so it'll probably be darker. Um, and also, if you evaporate enough water, you know, I'm saying getting it down to uh, where it would have a significant, you know, it's more of a solid than it was a, uh, a liquid, then you might have some problems getting it to rehydrate in the same way. So adding water to it might just you know, just have floating bits of uh, shampoo uh, floating around. And then if you try to wash your hair with these bits, it, it's just not going to work the same. So, um, But honestly, if you don't really mind those aesthetic difference, uh, it's, it's probably fine enough to do. It just seems like a pretty dubious idea. I mean, seriously, how much space are you going to save by uh, condensing your shampoo? Uh, this just seems like a huge amount of work for really not much benefit. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not like you're going to be able to condense, say, one week of shampooing into the size of like one day's worth of shampooing. Um, I, it, it's just it seems like a strange idea. Uh, um, but hey, like I said, as far as the the main concerns are is, you know, often people say, oh, I want to dilute my shampoo. Uh, that's a problem because when you dilute stuff, you can dilute the preservative and then that can cause uh, microbial contamination. It can be a problem. But when you're concentrating it, I, it, that's less of a problem here. You know, it's not a problem, though, is the, my ears and hearing that music. Uh, that seems like we bring us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Valerie's going to be back next week. And next week, we're going to have a bunch of audio questions. We have a lot in the hopper, and uh, I love to hear the audio questions. And I was going to do some audio questions today, but I'd like to have Valerie around for that. Thanks so much for listening. If you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We'll get it on the show uh, eventually. Um, We uh, are not always very fast on getting questions answered, but sometimes we're faster than others. Also, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. You notice in this show there aren't any commercials. And we do that specifically because if we took money from brands, then... I think that's going to color your opinion on things. You can't say exactly what you might want to say. Um, And that's an issue. It's certainly an issue for me. But uh, the way we get around that is we are listener-supported. So the way you do that is we go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. Also, as a patron, you get your questions prioritized. uh, So we'll answer them uh, as soon as we can, as soon as they're uh, submitted. Also, you can follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. We also are squatting on TikTok, but, uh, yeah, that's video is a lot of work. <laughs> anyway, but it's fun. Thanks again for listening. And remember, as Valerie and Randy before her says, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Get in.